All you reality TV lovers, we've got an extra special episode of The Girls Uninterrupted with our very own Aisha Scott from the latest season of Below Deck Mediterranean, all thanks to Hey You, the best of reality TV. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Pinch of the punch for the first of the month, no returns. This is the big thing that you had planned, is it? So in my messages about two minutes ago, and she says, I've got a banger for top chat. I've got a banger for talking at the top. And I say, what is it? And she says, no, no, no. No, 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 I ain't telling you. I want your natural reaction, and it's that. I get you every month, and I use the same ploy every month. Uh, well done. I say exactly the same thing, and I still win. I look forward to just speaking with you on September 1st. With that out of the way. Oh, hey, August is both of our birthday months. Oh, my gosh, yes. It's the best of all the months. And it's also my 30th this month as well. So, like, this, yeah. if there was ever a time to lean into the idea of a birthday month. This is it. It's now. It's Leo season. It's Leo. But you're a Virgo, aren't you? I'm Virgo. Yeah. I'm late August. Yeah. Late August. Yeah, I'm August the 13th. So, um, please mm. get your birthday cards ready and yeah. uh, send them to staff offices in Auckland. Anyway, uh, let's get on with the pod. Kia ora, this is Newsboy. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen. And this is what's worth talking about. July was the hottest month ever. So what can we expect for August? Could the hideous record-making continue? Also, how would you feel about running your entire life from banking to dating to health through one single app? Why on earth do we go so ridiculously bonkers for sticker promotions and so-called free gifts from supermarkets? And we seize on a tenuous news link to discuss whether or not the Loch Ness Monster is real. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsville. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. It's not yet official official, but July was the hottest month ever on record, worldwide. Say goodbye to global warming, because in the words of the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, we're in our global boiling era. Our global boiling era, that is... uh... Very depressing turn of phrase. So to find out just how bad it actually is, uh, we're going to chat to Luke Harrington. Luke's a senior environmental scientist from Waikato University. Kia ora. Kia ora. How are you going? Very well, thanks. Well, I suppose everything's relative though, isn't it? Um, so let's talk about how much hotter July was than, than sort of a usual July, I suppose. Is there a way of sort of quantifying this? Yep. So it's looking on track to be easily our hottest July on record. And, and globally, July tends to be the the hottest month of the year anyway, just because there's so many, so much larger land surfaces in the Northern Hemisphere. And it looks as though this July will break the record for the hottest July by about 0.2 degrees globally, which is a massive margin. Do we think that's it now? We've hit the highest month on record. We won't be breaking that one anytime soon, or is, is August looking like it's cr- it could creep on up to snatch it? I don't know if August will beat July, but... Um, the chances of seeing breaking these records and continuing to break these records depends on how rapidly temperatures are going up globally, which comes back to how much greenhouse gas emissions are put into the atmosphere. And so while the rate of warming is high, which it is, the chances of seeing these records being broken by a large amount is also high. Mm. Luke, why is this happening? Is this, is this all El Nino's fault, that cheeky bugger El Nino? There'll be a small role to play from from the forming El Nino, but that's only really kicking off. 
I mean, we've seen these very, very hot Julys happening for the last three or four years now. I mean, this is quite consistent with what we'd be expecting with a warming climate. These things play out in quite a dramatic way for in the Northern Hemisphere for, for a variety of reasons. It's, it's not unsurprising. We've started to understand the science a bit more that where we see a very, very hot summer in the US, for example, we will also expect to see a hot summer somewhere else and then somewhere else again. So these things happen together for reasons to do with how the jet stream in the Northern Hemisphere is playing out and things like that. Is the phrase global boiling the right one to start using from now on? No, it's terrible. Boiling refers to something specifically, like it's it's changing phase of water, um, which is at 100 degrees at, you know, regular at the ground surface. And no, it's not a useful phrase. I mean, I, I get the, the idea behind it. We're wanting to try to incentivize and, and motivate people to say this is a very bad thing that's going on and we need to do something about it. There's this tension that's happening now as we're shifting into these sort of higher warming levels and the impacts are starting to really sort of bear fruit that we're trying to figure out what is the best way to try to, to motivate people to change. And some people were opting to say this is really, really dramatic. We're sort of past the point of no return. Um, I don't subscribe to that because I don't think that's helpful to motivate people to, to reduce their emissions. You might end up just giving up. The key thing to remember is that every a little bit of additional warming that continues to happen is going to make these things worse. Every little bit of additional warming that we can avoid um, is going to avoid those impacts. And we can avoid any change in warming um, by reducing our emissions. And in actual fact, for these rapidly changing what we call record-shattering extremes, the chances of seeing them are going to reduce quite rapidly the moment we dial back this rate of warming. Luke Harrington from Waikato University, thanks very much for your time today. Brilliant, thank you. WeChat chat is coming up next. It's a weird sentence. And whether or not you'd be happy with one app running your entire life, from bills to health appointments to everything else. But while we've got you here... If you're enjoying what you're listening, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It really helps other people to find us. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. How would you feel about running your whole life from social media to banking to dating to healthcare all through one single app. And if you think that sounds good, would it still sound good if that app was Elon Musk's Twitter or X? Not sure what we're calling it at this point in time. No, neither, because the app's not updated on my phone Mm. yet. But anyway, the company is in a spot of financial bother at the moment, but in a post last week, Musk says he envisions adding comprehensive communications and the ability to conduct your entire financial world 
via the app. It sounds kind of similar to the Chinese app WeChat, which Musk has praised in the past. So what are the advantages and disadvantages of running your life via a single point of reference? Alan Robbins is a senior consultant at tech policy think tank Brainbox, and he's here now to chat. Hey, Alan. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. Talk to me about WeChat first. I always thought it was just like WhatsApp in China, but it turns out it does a whole lot more than that, and you can even keep your health records on there. Yeah, it is a real everything app. It kind of started out as WhatsApp for China, but it just Mm. built and built and built, and because everybody was on there, when a new feature got added, everybody could immediately use it with each other and for themselves. So you can... You can message a friend, you can do a live stream, you can apply for a job, you can buy a handbag, and you can contact your doctor without ever leaving WeChat. What are the advantages and the disadvantages of centralising so many disparate services in one place like that? Well, the advantage for the user is that, you know, it's more convenient. There's less friction. If you see somebody posting about a product and you want to buy that product, you don't even need to leave the app in order to do that. So, you know, it can be easier to use for people and the fact that with WeChat everybody's already on there means that you don't have to worry that maybe things aren't compatible. You know, if you need to send someone money, they have WeChat. It's guaranteed. The advantages for the company that runs the service are many. You have everybody's data about everything. You can pull it really, really easily and it's such an all-encompassing ecosystem that it's really hard for people to leave it. Basically, having a WeChat account in China is compulsory because it's the way that most people communicate and it's the way most people do their banking. You need to have one. So if you leave, all of that goes as well. For the government, the advantage is obvious. There's one source that you go to for surveillance and censorship and whatever else you need because everybody's on there. Now the reason of course we keep referring to this as China's app is because a lot of the apps that this is then sort of the big big daddy of, weird phrase to use, are banned over there, right? So Mm. if something like WeChat was to move out of China and come into the West, what sort of challenges do you think it would face? I think it would face Challenges that are close to insurmountable, honestly. Like, the the secret to WeChat success, it's not really a secret. You can see it. You can see how it progressed. It was the messaging app in China because there was almost no competition and network effects mean that the more people get on it, the more it is the place where everyone has to be. China didn't really have strong digital banking and digital payment systems for a long time. I mean, MasterCard and American Express only got allowed over there in like 2018 and 2020. It's very recent. So people needed digital banking and everybody was already on WeChat. So they offered it and it was a a thing that everybody needed and then used. And they built out from there with all the other features. Nothing like that exists outside of China, really. You know, there is no one messaging app that absolutely everybody is on or social media app that everybody is on. And there's so much more competition for digital banking and all these other services. Your phone is kind of already a super app. You know, it does all the things you need to do. It has individual apps for each function that WeChat performs, and they're made specifically to do those things. So they're usually going to be better than something that's trying to do everything. And it's not actually that much harder to go into another app to do a task rather than just going to a different tab within the same one. Lovely stuff. Alan Robbins from Braybox, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure.
New World's latest supermarket sticker promo is upon us and we're about to find out why so many of us go completely bananas for them. But we also want to know if you love the supermarket sticker promos. Get in touch on Instagram, we're at NewsableNZ or flick us an email, newsableatstuff.co.nz. And remember, our Instagram page is where we post the results of Fun Fact Friday, so you definitely want to give it a follow. It's that time of the year. New World has announced its sticker promotion. And this time in the year of 2023, we're talking MasterChef six-piece non-stick pots and pans. But it's not only pots and pans. There's a two-piece utensil set, what looks like an oven tray. I think it's called a roaster rack. But anyway, the time has come. And those who play the competitive sport that is collecting New World stickers are officially out of retirement and back on the field. There has, of course, been some drama in the past uh, where items have run out and it's turned into a sort of bloodthirsty Mad Max-style stampede. But uh, this year, New World promises it's done the calculations and it's made sure that no sticker collector gets left behind. But what is it about these promotions they get so many people so jazzed. Well, here to hopefully give us some insight is clinical psychologist Dougal Sutherland. Welcome back to the pod, Dougal. Lovely to have you here. Kia ora, team. Lovely to be with you again. W- what is it about these promotions, Dougal? Why do they have such a vice-like grip on our psyche? This is, <laughs> look, it comes back to some really basic principles of, of behavioural modification that we all do things or are likely to do things where we perceive that we get a reward from. So if it's something we want, we tend to work harder for it. And I think part of it is cracking the code on what is the thing that you want because, you know, rewards are very much different strokes for different folks. Because we're in the era now where it's it's cookware items, it's glassware, it's cutlery. But remember when it used to be like miniature supermarket food? And even then yeah. that had that started wars, that had trades in the office. Is it still that same mindset then? Look, I think it's the same mindset but possibly appealing to different audiences. Mm. There was another supermarket and they did sort of uh Lego kind of block things. Yeah, yeah. Now that's probably appealing to your kids, right? And, yeah. and and the little toy supermarket food is again appealing to kids. It's collectible. It's fun. They like it. Um, and and presumably pots and knives and those sorts of things are appealing to adults. So there's probably a bit of picking and choosing of markets as well. It's like, okay, who's this one going to appeal mm-hmm. to? And presumably there's been a little bit of market research go on, going, we love that. It's real life Pokemon. It's real-life Pokemon, yeah, absolutely. You, you you get something out of it and you feel good and you go, yay, I want to do that again. I've got to get them all. Dougal, as a clinical psychologist yourself, are you immune to the the overtures, <laughs> the manipulations of these marketing geniuses, or have you been seduced by these in the past as well? Uh, completely seduced. Uh, that, that, that's the thing, right, is, is it doesn't even matter. It's like the laws of gravity. You might say, oh, the laws of gravity don't apply to me. Well, try jumping. You're going to come back to Earth pretty quick. And you could say, oh, the laws of behavioural reinforcement don't apply to me. But, you know, you ratchet the number up enough, up, 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 and it'll eventually go, well, I could do that. And look, you know, pots and pans don't particularly appeal to me. But, you know, when they did the knives. I was going to say, meat knives. (laughs) You give me meat knives vibes, Dougal. Good taste. We could do the knives. (laughs) (laughs) Dougal Sutherland, lovely stuff. Really interesting to think about. Thanks very much. 
Thank you. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I what, think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. It, it, yeah, we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Okay, Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. So I'm pleased to confirm that the Loch Ness Monster is not an eel. You're confirming that definitively. Once and for all, are you? Dr. Wells has delivered her verdict. I am pleased to confirm. Sorry, that may have seemed out of the blue, and you'd be correct. But it's it's because the Loch Ness, the old Nessie, as she's referred to, is back in the news. Yes. And it's not every day that the old Nessie pops up in the news. So when she pops up in the news, you've got to talk about her. You got very excited when Nessie popped up in the news, didn't you? You're like, we're talking about this on the show today. We have to. Because when else? When was the last time the Loch Ness Monster popped up in the news? Are you a bit of a Nessie enthusiast on the d Well, I'm not, but when she comes into the news, or like when, when she floats back into the emosphere, you got to talk about her. So according to the Daily Mail, a scientist has debunked the theory that the Loch Ness Monster is an eel. I did not know that was one of the theories, but I'm glad we've now ruled it out. (laughs) Uh, And the reason it's ruled out is because apparently it's commonly believed Nessie is around a metre long, and according to Uh this specific scientist, there's about a 1 in 50,000 chance of encountering an eel that size. So he says, nah. Okay, I I always thought that Nessie was, like, a metre is not very long. You know? Yeah. Can you even be described as a monster if you're, if you're that long? <laughs> That's not monster levels, I don't yeah. think. Yeah, cuddly toy. But I do love the idea that there is monster or not monster, depending on how, you've, yeah. how you're so inclined. Just swimming around the Loch Ness. Like, I, I am obsessed with the idea. I'd love for it to be true. Have you ever been there? No, I've not. Have you? Uh, no, I'd love mm. to, though. But I, I, I'm the same. I love the, the idea of all of these mythical animals. It's the same with the Yeti yes. and, and like and Bigfoot in the mm. States as well. Mm. Long may these rumours, which are almost certainly not true, but long may they persist, in my opinion. Well, apparently it's also widely believed that Nisi was a wave phenomena on the night. she was A wave phenomena. A wave phenomena on the night she was first spotted. Yeah, I think um, an Otago University researcher, I think his name is Neil Jemmel, um, is actually at the forefront of Loch Ness Monster research. And in fact, I believe that his research suggested that Nessie was, in fact, an eel. So oh, what no. we should do is we should lock Neil in the room with this man who's quoted in the Daily Mail and get them to bat- battle it out. Would you say lock Neil? <laughs> Imogen. That's newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. <laughs> and I'm Emil Toro. Thank you very much for listening particular to our puns and we'll catch you tomorrow was this episode of newsable usable then back nz news by making a financial contribution at stuff.co.nz support it appeared that a vehicle may have gone over the 80 meter cliff into the set there have been no bodies found despite considerable debris being washed ashore nine years ago a man named john beckenridge abducted his stepson, Mike Zhao Beckenridge. Soon afterwards, they vanished. Now, a new investigation is trying to find out what happened to them. This is The Lost Boy. Listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.